Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of Catch Up on Kids Mental Health. I'm Janet Morrison. In this episode, I'm going to talk about adolescent suicide. What causes it? What are some of the things that we can do to prevent it? Suicide is a topic most people don't want to talk about, but it's a serious problem and there's no way to prevent it without talking about it, understanding it, and addressing its root causes. Suicide is a fatal, self-inflicted act with the intent to die. What are some of the stats? According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, approximately 500 Canadian youth aged 10 to 24 die by suicide each year. It's the second cause of death among youth between the ages of 15 and 19 after accidents. Males die from suicide more often than females and are more likely to use such methods as hanging and firearms. Females attempt suicide three to four times more often than males and are more likely to use poisoning and cutting. Aboriginal and Métis youth have four to five times greater rates of suicide than non-Aboriginal youth. LGBTQ youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. Transgender youth are most at risk, with up to 10% reporting having made a suicide attempt in the preceding year. The stigma associated with being transgender is a very significant stressor. 90% of adolescents who commit suicide have a history of mental illness, including depression, substance use, or conduct disorder, which is a disorder characterized by non-compliant, antisocial, and impulsive behavior. Teens with conduct disorder are often treated as criminals who need punishment rather than help but they're children who are coping in dysfunctional and maladaptive ways, and they're suffering, and they need a lot of help. Adolescents have to cope with a lot of things, a lot of changes, hormonal changes, new and intense feelings, and a whole lot of uncertainty about how to function in the world, how to separate from their parents and be independent people. Teens have to figure out their own identities, form independent relationships, organize their schedules, and make decisions about drugs, sex, and money. And also, they have to find a place for themselves among a large group of peers, all of whom are competing and attempting to do the same things. Most adolescents cope one way or another and survive pretty much intact, especially if they have good mental health and close relationships with their parents and their friends. But adolescents who struggle with depression, sexual orientation or gender identity, or who are dependent on drugs or alcohol, who feel alienated from their peers, who engage in risky behavior, these can all feel hopeless and helpless. If no one helps them, these kids can become self-destructive, even suicidal, especially if they lose a friend break up with a partner, are bullied or humiliated. The more problems, the more risk factors an adolescent experiences, the greater the risk of suicide. Each risk factor increases exponentially the likelihood of a suicide attempt. 
Once in a while, we hear about a talented, popular teen who suddenly, inexplicably commits suicide. And it seems so disconcerting, so frightening, because there doesn't seem to be any explanation. Why would a successful young person with his whole life ahead of him choose to die? The answer usually is that he or she experienced severe depression and severe feelings of worthlessness and failure, despite other people's admiration. Sometimes there is just very little correspondence between external measures of success and an individual's feelings of self-worth. Talented people who are perfectionistic or place very unrealistic demands on themselves to be brilliant and outstanding can really be crushed by a failure or an embarrassment or a disappointment. The reason people don't know their struggle with depression is because they're ashamed of it and they hide it from everyone, sometimes even those closest to them. After they die, we find out that they were not the happy people they pretended to be. Suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts occur on a continuum from passive thoughts of death, such as, I wish I were dead so I wouldn't have to write my exam, or they'd be sorry if I were dead, which is very common. Both are very common, in fact. At the other end, frequent thoughts of suicide with a plan and an intent to die, and a belief that others would be better off if they were dead. The more specific and more intense the suicidal ideation, the more likely it is that the individual will make a suicide attempt. Suicide is rarely impulsive or sudden. People who kill themselves think about it for a long time and usually talk about it with others. According to the Mental Health Association, eight out of 10 people who die by suicide gave some or even many indications of their intentions. What about teens who who self-harm? What is that about? Non-suicidal self-injury involves repetitive self-harm, such as superficial cutting to arms or legs. The goal is not to die, but to relieve feelings such as anger, frustration, or loneliness. The physical pain of cutting is experienced as soothing or distracting from intolerable psychological distress. It's often attempt both to relieve the psychological distress and communicate that distress to others. Suicide is intended to end feelings of intolerable pain, where there is no hope that the pain can be relieved in any other way. The, The person who wants to end life is convinced that the pain isn't going away, that the future is as bleak as the present, and that nothingness is better than what they have. What is complicated is the fact that many people who self-injure also attempt suicide. It should never be concluded that a young person who engages in non-lethal self-harm is a low risk for suicide. Everyone who self-harms is experiencing real distress and needs real help. A recent study found that people who self-injure to avoid thinking about suicide are at much greater risk of actually attempting or committing suicide. What are the top predictors of suicide? A previous suicide attempt, 
suicide by a family member, a plan to carry out the suicide, feelings of hopelessness about the future, and feelings of being a burden to others. The idea that others would be better off without them. Increasingly, bullying is being identified as a significant stressor for both self-harm and suicide. The effects of cyberbullying are devastating. Teens feel utterly hopeless and helpless and ostracized in a very public way. Everyone they know knows, and there is nowhere to hide. Two of the most widely talked about cases were Rita Parsons in Nova Scotia, who killed herself after she was photographed being raped, and then she was called a slut, and Amanda Todd in Vancouver, who killed herself after being hounded and bullied when a photograph of her topless was circulated. Instagram has recently come under fire for knowingly encouraging teenage girls to become obsessed with their appearance and how they're perceived by others with hugely negative consequences, including self-harm and eating disorders. What's the best way to find out if someone is considering suicide? Ask them. Ask them. It used to be believed that if children were informed about sex, they would be more likely to engage in sexual activity. But research showed overwhelmingly that children and teens with knowledge about sex and about birth control and people to talk to about these things were much less likely to engage in very young or very risky sexual behavior. In the same way, people worry today that discussing suicide with young people will inspire or encourage ideas about suicide. But you don't suggest to people that they might be going to kill themselves and then they kill themselves. It just doesn't work that way. There is no evidence that this is so. And every expert in the field of suicide prevention recommends that teachers, parents, doctors, friends, coaches, and all certainly mental health professionals specifically ask teens who show symptoms of distress if they have considered harming themselves, how often they've considered harming themselves, in what way, and to what end. Such questions as, do you think about dying? Do you think that things will get better or do you not think things will get better? How would you end your life if you were to end your life? How close have you come to ending your life? Do you have a way to end your life? And is there anything that stops you from ending your life? Sometimes teens and, and adults will say, I would kill myself, but I, I'm a religious person and so I wouldn't do it. Or I really would like to kill myself, but I have a child or a spouse or a parent and that it would kill them if that happened to me. And so that's such an important indicator right there because as I said earlier, often people who commit suicide really believe that they are a burden to others, that their mother or their partner would in fact be relieved and better off without them. And that's, that is a really key and important indicator and something that you would want to address very immediately. There are people who, despite care and despite treatment, want to die and they will die. But experts believe 
that the majority of people who commit suicide, especially in youth, might have been successfully treated and gone on to lead happy and productive lives. And that's just tragic. So what can we do moving forward? What are some of the things that we could think about that would decrease suicidal risk and suicide? Well, I think the first thing is to increase the availability of mental health services in schools, both both at the primary as well as the secondary levels. In the first year of the pandemic, and this is really interesting, suicides in Canada went down 32%. They went down by a third. Generally, mental health problems are way up, but not suicide. Researchers think that the increased availability of mental health supports, especially phone contact with professionals, is the reason that fewer people committed suicide. And they highly recommend, of course, that that support continue, that it should be readily available to everyone all the time. The second thing is we really need to teach suicide and suicide prevention as part of a larger mental health curriculum in schools. It would include teaching young children to express and cope with painful feelings, encouraging young children and teens to ask for help, and most importantly, to reduce the stigma and shame around feelings of loneliness, depression, and fear. And I think finally, and this is certainly not in order of importance, but we really need to be focusing on bullying. We really need to decrease the amount of bullying that children and teens engage in, especially bullying which targets members of Indigenous, Métis, and LGBTQ teens. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Janet Morrison. The next time I'm going to talk about eating disorders, about bulimia and anorexia. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.